0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from C21 News Editor Clive Whittingham, Channel 21 International Editor Nico Franks, Kids Editor Karolina Kaminska and Drama Quarterly Editor Michael Pickard as we look ahead to TV 2022 in Cannes. Plus Studio Canal Senior Vice President of TV series Alex Lebrat. On why the French scripted distributor is making its first foray into selling documentaries. MIPTV is back in Cannes, in person for the first time since the pandemic. Bigger sibling MIPcom returned in October, but the international TV business’s spring rendezvous occupies the Palais de Festival and its environs once more from Monday, alongside appended drama festival Cannes series. Covid may not be hanging over MIP in quite the same way it has in the past two years, but Russia's war in Ukraine will certainly be on execs' minds, as they try to navigate business as close to normal as possible. Among the keynote speakers featuring this year, Candle Media's Kevin Mayer and Moonbug Entertainment's Rennie Reckman, Sony Pictures Television's Wayne Garvey and Bad Wolf's Jane Tranter, and HBO Max's Johannes Larcher. These, alongside screenings of the hottest news shows, a focus on Netflix hit Squid Game, the International Format Awards and sessions on the latest industry trends including the metaverse and NFTs. The C21 team will be there on the ground to bring you all the latest developments and news editor Clive Whittingham, Channel 21 International editor Nico Franks Kids editor Carolina Kaminska and drama quarterly editor Michael Picard spoke to me ahead of the event to share their thoughts about MIP TV 2022. Hello everybody. How's everyone doing? Nico, Clive, Carolina, Mike, all excited about heading back to Mip T V?
1: Very excited. Absolutely can't wait. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Looking forward to it, definitely. It's a, it's been a very long time for me.
0: Yeah. Not so long for you, though, Nico. You were at MIPCOM in October. I was at MIPCOM, yeah, which felt
3: very much like people were kind of dipping their toe into the the can waters, as it were. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot more people seeing pictures of people having, you know, meetings on the beach at MIP. Con in October last year uh, has uh, persuaded them, I think,
0: to come to Mip TV. For you, Mike, Cannes Series, is the first time. It's been yes, going first for five time years.
1: Yeah, I've so not been to Cannes for a little while, actually. Not since Cannes Series started, actually. So now it's season five, I believe, of Cannes Series. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to you know going down on the pink carpet and seeing what's what's going on. Lots of interviews planned for the few days we're there. Um hopefully i'll I'll get to see some screenings perhaps um which might be a bit of a luxury we'll We'll see, but yeah, coming back from series mania that was that certainly showed I was a bit out of out of practice in terms of uh, charging up and down Lille. so um I'll, I'm a bit better prepared for the La-, La Corsette now.
0: and Carolee you've just done the uh, the Royal Television Society awards as well, so again, sort of the the event circuit hotting up
4: once more.
2: Yes, definitely, that was probably the the biggest event I've been to since content London. so um that was good to get out and about and a week after mip i'll be heading to marseille for cartoon next
0: just thinking about mip then obviously uh, clive nico covid may not be hanging over the event in quite the same way it has over the past couple of years but uh, russia's war in ukraine of course is going to be on everybody's minds so it's been dominating our news and it's also the cover story of our magazine um, what can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, that's right. So the spring issue uh, of Channel 21 International, I think it features more current affairs than definitely I've ever seen in, in my time at C21. And obviously we, we, we wouldn't want it that way. You know, the events in Ukraine are horrific and Russia's invasion of Ukraine is horrendous. But the ramifications go so deep that it touches all sides of um, of every business almost and, and the TV business included. So yeah, there's um, some some really uh, hard-hitting pieces. One by um, my colleague uh, Ed Waller, uh, the editorial director at C21, who spoke to uh, lots of execs, uh, Ukrainian execs, who just you know five months ago were speaking to us as part of our Content Ukraine um, online event about how Ukraine's TV industry was growing, but now telling us about their time spent in bomb shelters. So. Ed's piece and also the perspective piece um, from Elena Shokrobot, who's the director of Ukrainian media group MKMG. Uh, it's really incredible and uh, a definite must read. And it, it does put things into perspective. It sounds a bit trite, but I think, yeah, that will be reflected in uh, the atmosphere at MIT TV, I think, in Cannes. I think people will appreciate you know, being there a, that bit more, especially after COVID and now with the events in Ukraine. So, yeah, I think it will be a, a galvanized atmosphere with lots of people rallying around uh, a common cause in supporting Ukraine. So we've seen lots of statements from all the big media companies, uh, but now it's you know, obviously time for, for action and there's a few initiatives that are, are coming out already. And there's a session on the Monday afternoon their titles stand with Ukrainian content industry and I think that's going to be unlike any other really that I've seen at a MIP tackling really difficult subjects you know life and death issues and that's got execs from 1plus1 Media, Starlight Media, Ukraine TV and Film.ua group so yeah it should be a MIP TV like no other I'm I'm expecting.
0: Yeah I mean you pointed out in your, in your cover feature you know the daily affairs of the international TV industry they're kind of a sideshow but really media you know it's been a a key battleground in 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 this whole story in in like no other way. I mean, the the, the bombing of Kyiv's main TV tower early on, you know, was a very poignant symbol of that, wasn't it? And and uh, President Zelensky himself, a former TV star who uh, graced the uh, the Palais at MIP TV once upon a time as well, as uh, Ed referenced in his piece as well. So there's a whole kind of uh, pavilion which has been set aside as well by the MIP organisers, RX France, to uh, to house some media companies from from Ukraine that are representing programming from their country so yeah I mean the industry is really kind of pulling together as well as stopping doing business with Russia the industry is really pulling together to try to promote the work that, that has been doing the great work that's been coming out of, of Ukraine in recent years.
4: It is, it is awkward um, we've, we've been trying to strike this balance since this whole thing started between you know it's our job to report on the content industry and the television industry um, and that can seem a little trite and unimportant when you're seeing some of the pictures and hearing the the sort of real news that's coming out of Ukraine. It's a really difficult balance to strike, and the news has has kind of gone through cycles so far. Of initially, it was companies racing to say they weren't going to do business with Russia anymore because you didn't. Re- it was it's kind of like musical chairs, really. You didn't want to be the last company left holding a Russian production company or a, a Russian drama on your slate. So the initial uh, sort of rush of news was companies trying to absolve themselves of any connection uh, with Russia. Then came events, the event circuit saying that uh, Russian delegates and companies wouldn't be admitted. And in the case of MIT TV and RX France, there's obviously a free pavilion for uh, the Ukrainians, although they were initially quite reticent to to come out and say they were specifically banning Russian. Uh, companies and delegates they did eventually but uh, to start with they, they kind of seem to be leaning on the, the government guideline that well Russians can't travel here anyway so we don't need to ban them um, which felt a little bit like a fudge and uh, is, is potentially related to one of their other events MIPIM being a big uh, Russian dominated property uh, conference but they, they got there in the end and like we say they've, they've given over this free pavilion and, and a lot of time um, to the Ukrainians the next cycle of news I wonder about on this is what what does happen next Russia from what we gather expected to just waltz into Ukraine be welcomed as liberators conquer Kiev it'll take three or four days and it'll all be over there'll be a puppet government that hasn't happened obviously they're now retreating from Kiev um, and focusing their efforts on the east there are alleged peace talks going on so if the ukraine if ukraine comes to an agreement that suits them a peace deal that stops the fighting possibly russia takes the donbass region and the rest of ukraine is left alone ukraine agrees not to join NATO but can be in the eu or whatever they settle on if they do settle on all of that the war ends do these companies that have been in a rush to look good and pull out of russia go back do we start selling russian drama again do we Restart our Russian production companies, or is is Russia a pariah state forever and ever? Now there are companies in other industries, like Renault, that have already restarted their Russian business. Um, the next thing that television and content has got to consider is if a deal is reached that suits Ukraine or suits them to the extent that they agree to it. Does that is that we're friends with Russia again? What happens? What happens next? That's the sort of cycle that that I'm. I mean. I, I'm obviously hoping that's the next cycle because it would mean a peace deal has been agreed, which is is what we all want. But that's that's the direction of travel that I'm interested in next.
0: And crucially, how to rebuild the Ukrainian production business as well, which was uh, itself, you know, taking great strides towards doing co-productions with international partners and uh, really promoting homegrown originals to the to the international community. And yet, you know, many of the execs that we've spoken to over the years, talking to us now from from bunkers and. Uh, you know, how on earth do they get back to the to the stage that they were at prior to all of this?
4: So I've I've been to Kiev Media Week. I think a few of us have and done tours of the studio facilities over there. And it was obviously a, a real up and coming place to film. You could do high quality stuff on really low budgets there. Uh, and we've we've done a lot. We had content Ukraine ourselves as well. There is still business being done out of Ukraine. We had an exclusive story last week with the former distribution head at Film UA, Igor Storchak, who's launched a distribution arm during the war, because there is now obviously huge demand for Ukrainian content, Ukrainian stories that, that will shine a light and, and people can learn a bit more about this country that they're, they're hearing so much about and, and maybe hadn't before. So there, there is, again, it sounds so trite with what's going on, but there is opportunity for content companies coming out of that.
0: Well, all of our thoughts and, and and prayers, obviously, to to the people of Ukraine and and to the industry and the colleagues that some of you are going to be catching up with, in Cannes. So um, we'll be hearing plenty more about this, obviously, in, in the days, weeks, and months to follow. But turning to some of the other points of discussion and some of the other highlights of of MIP, Clive, um, what stands out for you among the keynote speakers, for example?
4: Um, I mean, it's a, it's a reasonably skinny program. The MIP TV's program's always been. Uh, less fulsome than the one at MIPCOM but uh, Johannes Larcher from HBO Max is one of the keynotes and I mean it's interesting for two reasons one because obviously it's another big streamer with deep pockets spending money it's a good content opportunity it's rolling out around the world and people will be interested to to hear what they're looking for what they're not looking for how you can work with them but at the same time we're in the latter stages now of what we presume is the foregone conclusion of Discovery and WarnerMedia Coming together under Discovery's famously well remunerated uh, head David Zaslav, so you would presumably that's then going to see HBO Max joined with Discovery Plus, which are both relatively new but relatively large streamers. And Discovery Plus is everything we report about them Mm -hmm. gets mega clicks because the factual business and see them as a as a real. Potential they could Potentially they could do what Amazon, Apple and Netflix have done for drama in Factual. So everybody's really keen to know what Discovery Plus are up to anyway. If you slam it together with HBO Max, presumably, I mean, it doesn't render everything that Johannes is going to say next week redundant, but presumably if you slam those two streamers together, the strategy and the buyers and everything changes again. So interested to hear what he's got to say and then how that changes later on this year when that deal, which seems inevitable, is done and concluded.
0: And Nico, aside from uh, obviously promoting the magazine and doing the good work that, uh, that you do at uh, C21, uh, what else are you going to be focusing on down in uh, Cannes?
3: Well, something that I'm hoping is going to be a highlight uh, is the MIP Format's international pitch, because I'm hosting it. So hopefully that'll go well. Shameless. So that's, that's on Tuesday afternoon. Um, and Fox Alternative Entertainment uh, is the partner. For that this year and they've got really ambitious plans of part as part of their uh, 100 million dollar international unscripted format fund uh so it, it'll be interesting to see which of the five formats which come from uh, spain austria turkey japan and the philippines um the fox execs uh choose um so yeah that's tuesday afternoon and then um there's a, quite a, a big south korean presence both on the unscripted and the scripted side at Mip TV. Um, they've got the, the creator of Squid Game talking and also the creator of The Mass Singer um, talking. Um, and that just yeah highlights the growing, you know, importance uh, of South Korean uh, culture uh, to the to the international TV business. Um, and that's kind of impacting all all genres uh, of of TV, even kids um, and Carolina had a great piece uh, in in the issue, um, writing about kind of the impact of, of Squid Game on on kids' content.
0: Carolina, Squid Game. Wholesome family viewing?
2: Yeah, so not at all, but um, it seems that more children than we might realise have actually been exposed to it in one way or another. Not necessarily, they might not necessarily have watched it, but they definitely know about it. Um, I think because of the fact that obviously it centres on children's games that are typically played in the school playgrounds, a lot of children are kind of recreating that at school um, obviously without the violence the the child-friendly versions but it kind of leans into a bit of a trend in the kids space at the moment or less a trend more of an issue that's becoming a bit more problematic relating to the exposure of children to unsuitable content and that seems to have arisen from the fact that there are so many platforms and devices now where children can watch content and when they hear about breakout tv shows like squid game um, and they might hear about it through older relatives or friends or even things like social media and advertising they want to be part of the conversation um, and that's why it interests them Um, and the Insights family in the UK did some research which found that children as young as six had been acting out the games featured featured in Squid Game and a number of TV executives that I've spoken to have said that they've seen similar things happening both uh, in their professional experience but also personally and we are seeing a lot more of these child-friendly and so-called safe streaming services launching, which aim to prevent children from being exposed to programmes that they shouldn't be watching. But that obviously doesn't necessarily stop them from being able to access inappropriate content through other means. Referencing another survey, which was conducted by Cadoodle TV, Uh, which is one of these uh, safe streaming platforms. Approximately 93% of the US parents surveyed said they had seen inappropriate auto-suggested content for their kids, nearly a quarter of which, who claimed it happens all the time, and 81% said they have seen their child stream a video which they did not approve of. Another study by Pew Research Center over in the US also found that 80% of kids are watching short form videos every day on open user generated platforms that are designed for adults. So they're kind of using those means to watch things that they shouldn't be. Um, So the question is how do you get children away from unsuitable content? Um, And it's a difficult one because even if you monitor their social media activity or put things like parental controls on streaming services, they can still hear about it through advertising or through their friends or social media. So one way around this could be for content makers to create age-appropriate touch points So rather than trying to completely shield kids from programs or brands aimed at older audiences, they allow them to be part of the conversation by making child-friendly versions. Um, So an example of this would be the DC and Marvel universes, where characters like Batman have been adapted for kids. Um, So if you think about all the various Batman films there are, which have lots of violent scenes that are definitely not suitable for children, there's also things like the Lego Batman franchise, which is made specifically for children, so it enables them to still be part of the conversation and enjoy these characters, but in a child-safe manner.
0: And I think we've also featured in the magazine Veronica Pickett, head of originals at Amazon Kids, and very interesting, Rennie Reckman as well, the uh, the founder of Moonbug Entertainment, which has been quite a few months back by Kevin Mayer's Candle Media. Kevin and Rennie are both going to be speaking at, at MIP. So um, can you tell us a little bit about those?
2: Yes, so, um, so obviously, you know, Moonbug Entertainment has been very successful um, since its launch. It's got um, a huge um, amount of IP with um, massive brands like Coco Melon, um, Little Baby Bum, Blippi. Um, and the acquisition by Candle Media um, seems to align quite well um both both of the candle media and moonbug strategies they're very kind of acquisition heavy um both very keen on acquiring and and becoming expanding the brands as much as possible uh with very big expansion strategies so it'll be very interesting to listen to kevin mayer at mip tv and and uh see from from his perspective what uh what his plans and ambitions are there
0: and veronica from from amazon it's uh, she hasn't done many interviews so it was great to get her what does she have to say?
2: Yeah, it was really good to secure an interview with her for the magazine. Um, she she was quite interesting. Um, she talked about the fact that um, Amazon Kids Plus goes beyond just being a streaming service um, and that it's more of an overall subscription service. It doesn't just focus on streaming content, but it also has books and games and um, other sort of interactive elements for kids. Um, One interesting point that she made, obviously, uh, especially since the pandemic, um, co-viewing has been a huge topic in the industry. Um, But at Amazon Kids Plus, they're less focused on co-viewing and more about, you know, what children want specifically since they are the target audience. But obviously, you know, that doesn't mean that they, they won't consider parents' perspectives because they understand that ultimately parents should have some sort of control over what their kids watch.
0: Great. Okay. Well, we look forward to to hearing more from the kids space from from you during the week, Mike. Drama. You're going to be at Can series and MIP drama as well runs alongside that. So tell us about some of the things that you're going to be focusing on and you know some of the the shows that we should be looking out for.
1: Yeah. Well, as I said at the start, Can series is back for its fifth season, uh, back in its sort of traditional uh, spring slot, having been moved around during the pandemic and online. And so I think everyone's looking forward to be back uh, to be back uh, in Can in person. Uh, as you say, yeah, MIP Drama runs alongside it. MIP Drama has a bit of a more of a buyer's profile, a um, bit more of a sort of a teasers of kind of things to come, maybe projects that people want to kind of jump on board at an early stage or sort of shift around some co-production money. Um, but as for Cannes series, it's very much going to be a party festival kind of feeling, I think, with obviously the, the pink carpet, lots of photo shoots, screen, screenings as well with fans and people people invited to come and and watch some of the the latest shows from across Europe. So I think it's going to be uh, a great event. I'm certainly looking forward to to seeing how it all uh, runs up close and in person, having sort of followed it online over the last few years. in terms of some of the highlights, um, I think it goes without saying that uh, two top actresses uh, making uh, their way to Cannes will be the highlights. So, Gillian Anderson is going to be there doing a keynote. She's obviously no, you know, needs no introduction from The X Files and more recently The Crown. She's got a Showtime drama called The First Lady coming up, uh, airing in April, where she plays Eleanor Roosevelt um, as one of three uh, leading characters, giving a, a kind of female perspective on what goes on behind the corridors of of power in Washington. And the other guest of honour is Sydney Sweeney, who's obviously been in The White Lotus and recently in season two of Euphoria. So uh, they're probably the two standout guests. Um, In terms of the competition, Cannes series has a a sort of full drama competition and then a short form competition. In the main competition, there are 10 series lining up to win the awards. Um, A couple of highlights I've picked out, uh, there's a Norwegian drama called Afterglow, which is very much a sort of funny and and emotional take on uh, a woman's cancer diagnosis and how she not only sort of traverses through that, but how it affects those around her. Um, A big Italian show coming up. It's, I believe, one of the first shows coming to Prime Video from Amazon in Italy. Uh, It's called Bang Bang Baby, and that's about a a teenage girl in the 80s who discovers her thought of, she thought her father had died, uh, but it turns out he's part of a mafia clan in Milan, and so she goes to to meet him and so descends her into a life of crime. Um, Another Spanish uh, series, another period drama, sadly, set in the 90s, which makes me feel really old when people call the 90s a period drama. But there we are, this is uh, Time Moves On. So this is uh, El Immortal, which is uh, basically following uh, the rise of one of the most powerful drug traffickers in Europe, um, and set in sort of the, the nightclubs of 1990s Madrid. And then another one, this is more of a, a, not, not a more of a factual drama, it's called The Dreamer Becoming Karen Blixen. Um, now, for those who don't know, Karen is a, a notable author from Denmark, and in this series she's played by Connie Nielsen of Wonder Woman most recently, and she was in Gladiator, so she's probably a, a recognisable name and one of the, the biggest stars I imagine to be in Cannes this week. So this is it's a bit of a, a biopic Of Karen's life and her early struggles before she became an author um, set in the 1930s so I think that's going to be quite a high-profile series for Viaplay uh, when that debuts this year so there's gonna be lots going on lots of panels Uh, I'm gonna follow Nico and and plug my own panel Um, there's a a mip times can series sort of strand that has been branching out so I'm gonna be speaking with the heads of some super producers, uh, Media One, Federation, Beta, uh, Studio Canal, talking a bit about producers as talent. There's such a, a talent grab at the moment in terms of writers, actors even, you know, on first look deals, particularly with the streamers in the US. So we're going to be talking a bit about how European companies are acquiring producers, working with them, um, and ultimately keeping them happy so they don't leave, I think, is the biggest issue there. And also, you know, for the first time in a couple of years, Drama Quarterly is also in print. So so it, was, it was great to sort of see it on the stands at Series Mania and Lil um, and I hope everyone will sort of find a copy in Cannes. We've got a first look uh, with Conversations with Friends which is the new BBC and Hulu uh, Sally Rooney adaptation which promises to certainly from what I've seen be as good as, as normal people. Um, We've S S.J. Clarkson a director who has made her name in the U.S on shows such as Jessica Jones and another Marvel series. She's directing Netflix's new courtroom drama, Anatomy of a Scandal, uh, which I think uh, I've seen half of the show already, and it's it's uh, I love a cult courtroom drama as it is, but this is, I think, it's a, a really good show, so that's definitely one to look out for. Michelle Dockery, Sienna Miller, um, star in that one. Part of Cannes' series short-form competition is a show called Everything You Love, which is a Norwegian series about a young couple who fall madly in love, but the uh, boy in the relationship um, is harbouring some secret far-right obsessions and and sort of falling into this online community of far-right activists. So it's all about how their love together kind of uh, is affected when his secret sort of emerges. Foxtel in Australia have also recently revealed some first look images of The Twelve, which is um, an adaptation, Australian adaptation of a a Flemish drama from a few years ago, another courtroom drama, but it's a fascinating look at the strangers who come together to determine the outcome of uh, a murder suspect. And so before these First Look Images came out, which you can see on Drama Quarterly's social media channels. Um, I had a chat with the, the creative team of the Australian version um, just to find out how they've uh, you know, adapted the series. And so that's in the magazine and a whole lot more. So please pick up a copy.
0: Okay, a final thought from all of you, perhaps. I mean, given that MIP TV is happening as usual, sort of so soon after Series Mania, and it's kind of coming back as a physical event, uh, there's been lots of discussion over the past couple of years as everything's been virtual as to the extent to which companies are going to be sort of willing to to all head down to Cannes again. We're obviously doing it. Some of the US studios, even you know with, with, with Fox Alternative, as you were talking about, Nico, and I, I know that's a company that that RX France are very very happy to have on board their, their formats day. so you know, I don't know how, how are we sort of feeling about the place of, of MIP TV within the industry calendar now as we enter this sort of not exactly post-pandemic phase, but uh, at least, at least a stage where we can start getting back together again in, in different places around the world.
3: I think. Just the way the, how the pandemic, the timeline of the pandemic, it's kind of obviously been terrible for events in general, but depending on where you are in the calendar, it's it kind of can have a, a an upside in, in a sense. And I think MIP TV might benefit from that this year in the sense that a lot of people are desperate to meet up, go to the south of France, um, whereas, you know, prior to the pandemic, I think it's fair to say you know the the relevance of mip tv was waning um whether or not that gets sustained you know next year and year after that uh, remains to be seen but it's definitely a great chance for mip tv to kind of um pull back some of that relevance um and then in terms of events overall i think it's been repeated ad nauseum that you know it's a people industry and people like to meet up um i think what will be interesting further down you know th- this year at big events and markets like like mipcom it's that physical kind of not just the people but the actual kind of infrastructure around an event like mipcom and you know the stands and the the cost of those stands not just you know from a money perspective but also environmentally i think people are thinking about that but i know there is a big push to make those stands more sustainable and i think companies are eyeing October now you know to bring hundreds of colleagues over because I think there is that recognition that people do need to meet up and do business.
1: Yeah I think Nico, I think you're absolutely right I think this TV is kind of needs to be assessed in a bubble really of the first major market you know if you exclude MIPCOM last year the first major sales market that people can actually come out and, and see each other and I think that's going to be a big influence. Uh, speaking to a few people I, I, this sounds like it might be the kind of market where people aren't really going but you know, they might pop down and and spend a couple of days in the sun and, you know, it might be one for for us journalists to keep our eyes out just to see who does make a a last minute dash down to La Croisette. Um, Certainly coming off the back of London screenings, not so much Series Mania, which is a very different sort of market in terms of being more focused on development, although it was notable that there was more space given over to stands this year at series mania but i guess that's just natural that people want somewhere to meet that isn't just a table they want a, a bit more of a, a, a an impression there but i mean certainly on the back of london screenings and, and like nico says going forward next year it'd be interesting to see who does stay away this year and then who stays away next year i think it's also been noted that at series mania and, and this year as well that uh, at mip tv as well that some of the us studios maybe are, are um, conspicuous by their absence, if not in presence, but certainly some of the shows that are being screened and featured. So, whether they decide to, to come back for MIPCOM or, or have changed their travel plans indefinitely uh, will remain to be seen. I guess people will be going over there to LA uh, in May for the screening. So, um, it's really going to be interesting this year just to see how that novelty factor wears off and, and whether people are interested in keeping on their promises of, of doing a lot more digital business or whether. Um you know this time next year we'll be saying well, it's it's just like uh, it was in 2019.
4: So I think we're obviously heading towards a hybrid model where there's some physical events and but the zoom pitching remains. Um, I've spoken to a lot of production companies that have said that being able to zoom pitch, particularly buyers in the US has opened up that market far more than it was open to them before producers in the UK and Europe can get a proper meeting with us cable nets and us streamers a lot easier than they were able to before on the flip side of that we're often talking in television about needing to be more diverse and get new voices and younger and BAME and and all of this in, more involved in television and making television so people can see themselves on screen it's really difficult i think to get a zoom meeting with commissioners If you're just starting out and they don't know who you are, it's kind of if you've already got your foot in the door and people already know your name, you can get a Zoom meeting with a commissioner in America without having to fly over there. But if they've never heard of you and you're brand new, which is kind of who we want to encourage into the industry, right, then that's difficult. So that's where the physical events and you bump into people at cocktail parties or grab them off the stage after panels. That's where the physical events come into their own. So I think we're heading into a a hybrid model.
2: Yes. Um, definitely a hybrid model I would say um, I do also agree with um, what Nico was saying earlier about um, I think this, this will be a, a very good stage um, for MIPTV post pandemic because this is going to be the biggest um, industry event in a while now and everybody that I know who is going is is very 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 excited for it So, I think it will be very interesting to see how it compares in 2022 to the last event in 2019, three years ago.
0: Absolutely. Okay, well, Carolina, Nico, Mike, have a great time down in Cannes. We look forward to hearing from you more. And uh, Clive, of course, keeping the foot back home. Clive Whittingham, Nico Franks, Karolina Kaminska and Michael Picard speaking with me ahead of MIPTV 2022, which gets underway in Cannes on Monday. And just a reminder that C21 has created a suite of Ukrainian programming from a number of suppliers available for the international market within our C21 screenings portal. Whether you're looking to put together a night of Ukrainian programming to support the country with a fundraising event or just keen to see the array of shows produced there, you'll find a raft of titles on offer. Just visit the C21 screenings within our website where, of course, you'll also find thousands of programmes from leading distributors taking part in MIP and across the international TV business. Among them is Studio Canal, part of Vivendi's Canal Plus group in France. Senior Vice President of TV series Alex Lebrun spoke to Jordan Pinto about why the business, which specialises in scripted, is making its first foray into documentary distribution with four-part series The Wonders of Europe and how Studio Canal is looking to build its roster of unscripted titles moving forwards.
5: So historically, Studio Canal has specialized in scripted programming, uh, and now you're branching into this new area. Um, So could you talk about um, why you're moving into unscripted uh, and what the opportunity is that you see there?
6: Well, um, as you know, our ambition at Studio Canal is to create, uh, produce, and globally distribute the best of European content. And this is not only drama, because since uh, we launched uh, ODA Upside Down in 2019, we've also diversified in kids programming and uh, we are so passionate about content and we know that now for Factual they have more and more sophisticated storytelling Uh, it would be a shame not to jump in uh, because we are so passionate about content so that's why um, for this uh, mid TV edition we will be moving into the Factual space uh, by launching the distribution of our first uh, docuseries and we are delighted about it, we are so excited, very happy
5: Okay, that that brings us nicely on to to me asking about what the do- what the docuseries is
6: <laughs> um, no I'm very proud of this because it's uh, it's called the wonders of Europe and uh, it's um, it tells the story of Europe's most iconic monuments uh, from their creation to the present day so um, these forces this first season sorry is composed of four episodes and each each of them is dedicated to a monument so there's the that side um, the Alhambra and the acropolis and it's uh, it's really at the same time it's entertaining and captivating and you learn so many things about the monuments because the the the, the episodes are a combination of interviews of the most renowned experts uh, in the architecture films and also fiction to tell the story of the monument in its history and uh, they also added 3d reconstruction of the the monuments so that you understand every step of the way of their creation and and you know it, it's it's really um interesting because as a French person I know the Louvre and Versailles very well but um when I watched the episodes dedicated to each of them I I learned so many things about the monuments uh, it, it, it really created something like you, you you're on a tour of the monument while watching and that's that's really something unique I think uh, about about this uh, documentary. So um, we are very excited to be launching this one uh, at MeTV. TV. Mm
5: Is this a project that's also produced by Studio Canal, or is this produced by someone outside it's of? Them?
6: produced by brilliant producers, the Flab production. They are part of Vivendi, so we know them very well. And they have been producing scripted and unscripted for the Canal Plus channels for the past years. Uh, so they are really uh, uh, good producers that we know very well.
5: Um, and within the unscripted genre, um, are you able to talk a bit about what types of, of programming you might be distributing? Um, outside of Wonders of Europe, Um, like will it just be docu-series? And documentaries, or could we also see you in the future moving into um, I don't know reality ser- series or other kind of unscripted projects?
6: Well, at the moment, we we, we want to start slowly uh, with very high-end documentary series that will find a home on Canal Plus as well as international platforms or broadcasters. But um, the, we 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 really want to be um, choosing the docu series that we will be distributing, and at the moment. We were really focused on this genre uh, as a start. Okay.
5: Um, how how are you going through the process of choosing and, and selecting these uh, uh, these uh, these projects? You know, what, what makes the uh, what what makes the, the criteria?
6: Well, when we started, we wanted to define a clear uh, editorial orientation so that it would be easier for us to select projects, as you say. And uh, now it's it's clear for us. But when we started, we, we started very naturally by talking to our colleagues at Canal Plus because um, they have um, a really deep understanding of the genre. They have several channels dedicated to Factual and they have long running and qualitative relationship with top Factual producers. So it made it easier for us to uh, make the step into distributing docu-series. And as for um, the formula or the criteria that we may use, um, now we have a really carefully curated slate of premium documentary and we defined three editorial pillars. Uh, the first one is true crime because obviously it's a really popular one and I think that we have great stories to tell in Europe. Uh, the second one and it's very linked to the Canal pillar channels it's sports. So we're trying to find you know very unique stories to tell in this, uh, in this uh, genre. And the third one is what one we call spotlight on Europe. And it aims at, um, you know, um, showing um, great uh, places, people, lifestyle that are deeply European, because this is here in our DNA, of course. And the wonders of Europe are part of this one. So um, it's an important uh, pillar for us.
5: How many projects will you be bringing to MIP TV, um, or how many of these new um, documentary projects do you think or will, will be on the slate at MIP TV, or are you starting with one?
6: As I said, uh, we we wanted to start slowly to to really have a curated slate and uh, to um, we, we we are not really over um, a quantity, uh, so um, we are not looking for a big volume of documentaries to distribute, and we want to keep on carefully selecting the ones that we will be distributing. So. Um, I think that that's our formula from from now Uh, and at Meet TV we are um, launching only one but there will be more to come and I I, I can't uh, tell everything now but there will be uh, one about a very famous uh, fashion designer um, very soon that we will be launching very soon also.
5: Obviously, launching this new part of the business is not something that can just happen overnight. Um, how long have you been planning to uh, to launch this new area of the business?
6: Um, it's not been that long when we when we started thinking about uh, diversification, and we also, uh, like everyone in the industry, we were amazed by um, the you know some documentaries that have done amazingly on platforms or on traditional podcasters. So, um, as i said because we have such a great relationship with our colleagues at Canal Plus uh, we discussed this with uh, them um, really early uh, in the diversification process and and when and 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 it became um natural for us to jump in and start distributing uh, factual um
5: you were mentioning um some docu series that you had seen that have done really well um are there any are there any ones that you could highlight as examples of um, of docu series that you thought, wow, that's a great project. We would like to do something similar.
6: No, it's not. I'm, I'm not going to 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 give you titles because I think there are so many at the moment. But I think definitely the true crime genre is really key for us, and I think that we have great stories to tell uh, in this area. And we are already thinking about many things um, in this uh, um, specific um, um, genre. Um,
5: do you see most of these projects as being uh, French? language or English language or could these be projects from, from any language really?
6: It, it could be from any, any language. Uh, we started with um, um, I, I mean the wonders of Europe is uh, genuinely French language. We're going to obviously dub it uh, for the international market uh, but um, it, it's uh, shot in French. Um, obviously as an international distributor we are always trying to find stories that would be appealing internationally. So um they they have a European DNA, but we know that they have um, you know potential for international sales. Mm-hmm.
5: What do you see as some of the keys to success um, as you move into distributing docuseries?
6: Um, I think that the keys to success are um, our process of selection, being very, you know, uh, precise about what we want and uh, be very close to the editorial uh, orientation that we defined. And the second key for success is the passion our sales team have for content and uh, the, all the energy they are putting into, into sales selling this uh, new um, genre, so I think that's uh, really important. Mm -hmm.
5: Um, when you look at all the um, SVOD platforms and AVOD platforms and uh, traditional platforms, um, h- how do you assess the opportunities to, uh, to you know, to, to basically to sell uh, successfully docu uh, docuseries and other factual projects uh, internationally as, as you grow this new line of business?
6: I think there are plenty of opportunities and that's why it's really exciting to be uh, at this moment launching a factual distribution of factual because uh, uh, there's uh, really um, a Um, all platforms and broadcasters are looking for content and we know that uh, Factual uh, are really um, liked by the audience internationally. So I think that there are many opportunities for us with international platforms and also with broadcasters. I think that we are going to find many partners. Mm -hmm
5: um what stage of pro- uh, what stage do you think you will become involved with um with some of these projects do you, do you think you'll become involved at the very earliest stages de- during development or do you see yourself um picking projects up maybe later on um in the production cycle
6: we like to jump on board at an early stage and as i said because of um, our relationship with the canal plus channels and the thing that we are uh, working closely on on the actual um we are go- at the moment we are jumping on board at a at, at, uh, development stage and that's really interesting for us also uh, to you know start working on projects when they are st- still being developed.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, what are some of your goals and hopes for, for the year ahead um, apart from um, Wonders of Europe selling extremely well? <laughs>
6: That's the first goal, very important for us to have a successful MIP TV for Wonders of Europe. Um, no, but we, as I said, it's not about volume for us. So um, my goal for this year is to launch um, the factual that are on the slate. They are not numerous, but launch them on the sales field uh, successfully uh, and uh, you know, um, bringing uh, finding homes for all of them.
5: In terms of the number of episodes, uh, are you open to? I don't know, 10, 10, 10 times hour longs, half-hour episodes? Like, is it a, a range of uh, things you're looking for?
6: We are really open about the format. I, I think that it's not something that we are um, stubborn about. So, yeah, we'll be looking at uh, different things.
5: Fantastic. And anything else that you'd like to add, Alex?
6: No, I'm, I'm really, really happy that we are jumping in this uh, new genre. I think it will bring us really great stories with... Uh, uh, new partners and, uh, and clients uh, on the market. So looking forward to uh, presenting maybe a new one in uh, the coming months.
0: Alex Lebra from Studio Canal, speaking with Jordan Pinto. That's all for today's episode, but don't forget to visit C21 for all the latest developments from TV and tune in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll hear new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay safe and up-to-date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 Online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.